Welcome to the Mr. R Show, brought to you by the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. If you're an accounting firm owner or manager seeking harmony between work and life while optimizing profitability, you're in the right place. Our goal, to empower you with the knowledge and tools necessary to enhance both your personal and financial well-being. In every episode, we bring you insights from esteemed individuals in the field who share their valuable expertise and practical steps. Join us on this journey as we collaborate to revolutionize your business and enrich your life. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Mr. R Show brought to you by the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. I'm John Trapolsky here from the MRRI team. We get a great topic as always. Today, we're going to really dive into what's referred to as specialized tax services. So with everybody that's been in the industry, you're looking to get into it. This may actually be something that you're not familiar with. I know we get a lot of questions on our community pages on this at events, emails, etc. Just really people looking for more information on this. So kind of scrolling through our Rolodex, if you will, we went directly to the source, directly to the most interesting man in tax, as you may have heard when I tell you who it is, that's a, a good little tag that's been associated with his name, which is perfectly, perfectly a fit for that. So we're talking about Julio Gonzalez. So Julio is actually the founder and CEO of Engineer Tax Services, Inc. Um, I believe in this episode, we refer to it as ETS. You may hear others refer to it as ETS as well. But really, the, in a nutshell, the focus of ETS really was to bring specialized engineering tax studies to mainstream America. So basically what that means is taking really services that have been held, we can call it held captive, but really shielded from normal businesses and individuals. So really they've been available for a while to Fortune 500s and public companies, but really we're looking at this from a perspective of really introducing you potentially to it, but not just introducing you to it, really giving you a little bit more of the detail on what goes on in their world, some of the services that they provide, and thus services that you can offer your clients as well. So let's dive right into it. Um, you're going to be blown away with this one. Julio is a wealth of knowledge. This gentleman has been on many, many, many news networks. He is the source of credible information for so many. We look forward to this one. Hopefully you do as well. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mr. R Show. As promised, we have a fantastic guest on with us today as we jump into specialty tax services. So if that confuses you just a little bit, that's good. Don't be afraid. Don't get off. Don't log off. Don't start writing down notes, freaking out, saying, I have no idea what this is. Obviously, we have Julio with us today. So Julio Gonzalez, as you just heard the intro for, we could have went on for a long time. He's got quite a resume to add to it. Um, and obviously, Chris Picuro is on with us as well, too. Um, Julio, how are you today? How how did you how did you get in this position? How did you start ETS? Well, good. I you know everything's good here, hot and humid in Florida. Well, look, you know I've been doing this since 1980. I've been doing some type of tax work since the uh, early 80s, and you know in 2001, what I realized when I was doing big working in big accounting firms is that we were able to do tax planning and eliminate or minimize the tax liabilities for our Fortune 500 clients. And I just realized that that resource and those services, especially tax tax planning services, didn't exist outside of the big eight that at that time, which was now the big four. And so 
in 2001, it was planes, trains, and automobiles going to <laughs> across the uh, country and sharing with them that there's things we can do as engineers, as scientists, as consultants to help their help their clients with tax planning. And uh, it's just been a passion. It's been a passion of love. And uh, we've been doing it for a long time. But, you know, every day I'm reminded by clients that we've helped save tons of money and keep their doors open and grow their companies and keep employees and hire employees that, you know, what we're doing is uh, just truly magical. Absolutely. Well, I am giddy, because this course, I am giddy to have Julio on today. I don't get uh, too giddy too often. I'm always excited, but, um, and this is really special because uh, what Engineer Tax Service does is that it helps tax professionals really maximize their value, and it is in lockstep with the MR Institute and in, in what Mr. R teaches people. Um, so... Excited again with Julio here, the most interesting man in tax. And Julio, I, I'm going to toot your heart a little, but you're one of the 100 most influential people in accounting. I would argue top 10, to be honest with you. Accounting today said the top 100. Um, and I really admire the work that you guys do. Um, we are, yeah. And so what we want to talk about today is how you, can you give us a little bit of, of, um, background on when I know, I know we talked uh, before the show about a big event in your life that really picked off tax planning and strategy, but, um, you know, who engineer tax service, tax services, services, and can you give us kind of a 30,000 30, foot view of what specialty tax services are? Because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, they might have a niche. We, we really teach them to have a niche. Um, but a lot of them are general practitioners just getting started, or maybe they've been in practice for a long time. So what are, yeah, what are specialty tax services? Well, it's real simple. What it is, is it's tax credits, tax specialty depreciation, tax deductions. So specialty taxes, tax credits, tax deductions, and grant services. Really, it's three core services that help lower the taxes for all small business owners through accounting firms. And we're really just trying to bring to the accounting firms these type of consulting and planning programs that allow them to help their clients. Now, you know, not every accounting firm is going to have a room full of engineers, right, that are doing things to measure buildings and determine how much a building can be depreciated quickly. Or they're not going to have a team of scientists over in this other room that are determining R&D tax credits and other types of employment tax credits, right? So we become that resource for them. You know, like you and I talked, the accounting firms and the accounting people, they can't do everything, right? They can't know. And like when I started accounting in the 80s, we didn't change the tax code every day, right? We went 20, 30 years without changing the tax code. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's ping pong, right? <laughs> changing tax code with whatever the new president is, and then we have COVID, and then we have all these inflation issues. And so we changed the tax code every day. And so who could keep up with it? Now we have all these green tax credits in this country. How can the accounting firms keep up with all these? How can uh, how can they help their clients? So we just become that outsource for them. We have their, we have their engineering department right here. We have their scientist department over here. We have all the interpretation of all these green credits 
in our tax law department. And so like our bottom line is to help them help their clients so that their clients aren't going online and saying, why didn't we do this? Right. That's the, that's the one conversation they don't want to have with their clients, but they're having more and more of those conversations. Why? Because everyone's going on TikTok and they're going on all these other Instagram and other social platforms to find out about taxes. They see it and they're like, well, I could have bought that car and wrote it off if it weighed 75 miles. You know, you get the gist, right? So um, we're just Absolutely. helping to get ahead of this a little bit. So yeah, you I mean, guys are really empowering um, other tax pros. So you guys really are the engine behind the scenes, but also just empowering them as a whole with all the knowledge and tools and everything they need, correct? We have to because I'm just afraid that the accounting world has been inundated with tax changes, tax code changes, tax law changes, constant evolution of tax codes. And what happens? They become so compliance-based, just trying to keep up with the code that they can't do the tax planning, right? So they're going to their clients and saying, hey, we put everything in the computer and you owe $10,000. You don't want to have that conversation. You want to go and do the tax planning and go to the client, look, you owe 10,000, but I did this and this, and I saw you had this, and now we're getting you a refund, right? That's the conversation you want to have with your client. And you should have that conversation with every one of your clients if you're doing tax planning for your clients. But, you know, 99% of them out there are doing just the compliance. So we've got to change that, right? And we got to help these accounting firms stay in business um, and not get taken over by AI and uh, other things out there. Yeah, I think a compliance heavy firm, compliance kills. But, you know, it, 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 it could, unfortunately, it could take a toll on your house. It could definitely going to take a toll on your, um, on your capacity if it's so seasonal. Uh-huh. And focusing on the tax planning strategy is amazing. Now, and, and I think, so we, I'm going to talk about our private CPA practice uh, just a little bit because and we've been in the subscription model for for about a decade. And I spent the first decade of my career turning and burning. Um, but what happens is, is once you change things around and you really focus on the tax planning and strategy, you're going to add a ton more value to your clients. But when you start doing that, you need the tools to do that. And there's no way I can, like in our private CPA practice, we're niched in real estate investors. But there's no way for us to know every tax credit. And um, just like a general med- medical doctor, can't know they could diagnose something they could identify when you need to see a specialist but they can't be the specialist and you really don't want them being the specialist uh so we started working with engineer tax service all you heard them as ets and their amazing team uh, quite a while ago and we've had a ton of successful client cases um now we have been working in specialty taxes for about a decade but what happened was is we were working with a variety of vendors um for each each type of case, and it was just much. It's it was a, it was a large portfolio of vendors to manage. When I say vendors, I shouldn't even say vendors. They're really your partners. They could be your partners in in helping the client. And in many cases, if you if you put the time into it, they could be a strategic revenue partner, and they could actually generate revenue for you and your firm, and to be actually compensated for your time and efforts. Um, the great thing about ETS is they're able now that we work with them. I don't have to manage a bunch of relationships. They have specialists in each of these tax strategies. Um, and, and trust me, it's, it's going to make you look good as the tax professional. 
and your clients will be very happy. It's a great way for retention. Um, so we've had a lot of success stories with with ours. And guess what? Sometimes you might have a client that thinks they're eligible for something, and once in a while you might bring in an ETS. They might say, "I'm sorry, you're not eligible for this credit. You're not the bad guy anymore, right?" It's like when you're saying, "Hey, daddy, daddy, can I have a sleepover at my friend's house?" What mommy say? You know. Uh, so says a tax professional. Working with them is amazing. Uh, so, Julio, I want to kind of touch on just about thirty thousand foot view. Some of the most common, um, some of the most common specialty tax services that engineer tax services provides. In and also, I want to focus on this. This is a collaboration between your tax business, you as a tax professional, and ETS. They're not replacing the tax compliance piece. They're not. They, Sometimes they will prepare a form or help you guide you through a form that gets put on the tax return. But this is a compliment. Comp, you know, we always talk about um, collaborations bigger than competition. And in our teaching tax flow world, Julio nailed this. We always talk about one of our three laws is that tax agencies are your involuntary business partner. That's one of our three laws. And you could either pay your business partner tax or you could do tax planning and deploy that money for an asset that grows and earns income for yourself. So- um, we talk Julio first on like 30,000 foot view on, uh, on like a cost segregation study and when, when it would be a time, uh, that we, you might want to get a specialty tax service provider involved. Yeah. Good. Well, let's start with cost segregation studies because that's something not a lot of people are aware of. And this is one of the true gifts that the government gives us. First of all, they give us the gift that if I buy real estate, I invest in real estate. I get to expense it. Now, if I buy stock and invest in someone else's company, I don't get to write that off. If I go buy a bond with the government, I don't get to expense it, right? So I could take that $100 and I could go buy a stock and see how the market does, but I don't get to write off that $100. Same with the bond. But if I go take that $100 and buy real estate, the government says, well, I get to write that off. So I'm already getting a 50% return if I have a 50% tax bracket, right? So that's awesome. Now, it's even better because cost segregation is where we do an engineering study. So we have all these engineers and all they do all day long are cost segregation studies. So what do we do with the cost segregation studies? Well, the government says, the federal government says that if we do an engineering study, we can determine how much of the building is non-structural versus structural, bricks and mortars and everything else, right? Everything else that's not bricks and mortars, we can expense from the cost irrigation study immediately because we have bonus depreciation, right? So say I go buy a building for $5 million. Well, I'm probably going to get 30 to 40% of that value written off immediately as personal property, personal property in a building being identified as anything that's not bricks and mortar. So now I get to expense that. So I get a big write-off. And what happens? That goes against my taxable income, I preserve my wealth, and then I keep the cash, right? So that the cash is what's so great, right? Because now I can spend that cash on everything else but paying that check to the IRS. And I think one thing that people don't realize with real estate is it's the gift that continues to give. What I mean by that is when we do the cost segregation study, I'm looking at that engineering report and I'm saying, these are the things we can write off immediately for you. But I'm also looking at the rooftop and I'm sending that roof plan 
over to AT&T, Verizon, to see if they're eligible for 5G, to see if they can get rent on the roof, which I call as the next generation of rent in our country, right? And I'm also looking at the footprint of the building to see if they're eligible for solar. There's so many companies that want to get solar out there and they'll do the revenue sharing with you so that they can get the solar and use that solar to get, you know, off, you know, sell, sell the uh, energy back to the utility company. So we look and see if we can do that for them. We also look and say, um, you know, if it's a multifamily, if it's an office, hotel, parking garage, uh, we have a lot of companies out there that want to put the charging stations in and take advantage of that revenue because that's a revenue share program and you don't have to put out any more capital. So we bring those resources. We also look and see, is this property eligible for grants? Because one thing that people don't realize is that 90% of the grants in our country, federal and state, are for real estate, right? The government wants real estate, right? Because why? It generates taxes for them, right? We get these property taxes every year. And so the government, whether it's federal or state, they put out these grants to restore properties, to you know bring properties in, give them the land, give them some Fed money, give them some grants so that ultimately we get take this money, which is what we all paid in, right? And federal taxes now becomes a grant. Now this grant is basically giving that city a return on investment because now that person's going to put a building there and it's going to pay property tax and hotel tax and sales tax and employment tax, right? So it's a big thing for them. But also when I look at the buildings, does it have air rights? A lot of our clients buy the buildings and don't realize that they have 10 feet or 10 stories of air rights that they can sell and that's very valuable. Or you can conserve it and give it to the government and take a charitable write-off, right? Or maybe the building is 50 years old and now it has some historic tax credits associated with it, right? So if you think about it, and we could go on and on, right? It could be new market tax credits for multifamily. It could be, you know, all these other types of and credits. And then, you know, we also look at the building. Does it qualify for energy tax credits? You know, 179D or 45L. Did we make this building energy efficient? And do we get to take the tax credits associated with that as well? So when we tear that building apart, we have all these credits, grants, right? And all these other tax incentives. And what a wonderful opportunity. And when you buy real estate and you have that accounting firm helping you with those things, what a return on investment. Because all of a sudden I got credits, I've got grants, I've got depreciation from my cost segregation study, I'm going to get in some 5G income. And this is where you build wealth in our country, right? The government is telling you how to do it because they're saying, if you go buy buildings, real estate, we're going to give you all these benefits. Again, you don't get those same benefits for stocks and bonds. You're actually giving your cash to someone else who's going to take those tax benefits because they're probably going to invest in real estate and everything else, right? So don't give up those benefits. And you utilize them yourself. Make sure you have that accounting firm that's going to help you with that. And Julio, you, you brought up a, a slew of fantastic points there, I think. And this is, again, coming from somebody who's not not in the, the we'll call it the tax world every day. Like you guys, I, I haven't been doing this that long. So your experience, you know, far outweighs anything I have. But you mentioned a lot of things, right? Like the the various rental incomes from like 5G. Well, obviously there's the automotive side to it. So there's a huge push. Um, to obviously get that in place. So you have infrastructure demand where you're mentioning it. So it's almost like, you know, as our audience on this podcast, specifically tax pros, you talk, I mean, the, the old, the old slogan, I guess, you know, knowledge is power, What you're talking about 
could literally be a game changer for a lot of these tax pros because now they're not kind of like you mentioned too, you know, going back for a second is the government's providing the roadmap. It's it's up to the tax pros and the individual to basically navigate their way through it, correct? So when you're mentioning these opportunities, we'll call them, uh-huh. if, I, if I'm not the tax pro, if I'm on the client side of the table or the client side of the relationship and they're coming to me with these opportunities, that person is like a superhero <laughs> to me, right? Right. Where they look at it and they're like, you know, basically, wow, I'm winning. I'm in this property. I've invested in it. It's it's a good opportunity. And then all these kind of ancillary ops start popping up. I mean, you talk about relationship value. I mean, holy cow, right? So that's that's where you guys play a huge part in that. And even going to the extent of Chris, I know on the Teaching Tax Flow podcast that we have, as well as, um, you know, the Mr. R Show, you're part of MRI, is, you know, building your board of directors. Where ETS, yeah. like you guys provide such a fantastic, and I, w- I wouldn't even say niche necessarily, although it is it in some, some regard, there's mm-hmm. so much power in what y'all do that, I mean, again, it's, I keep saying it's just a game changer, right? I think it's the best way to buy. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, yeah. A couple of things on the cost segregation study, because in, like I said, I said earlier, you know, the, the, the uh, tax agencies are your involuntary business partner. One of our three laws of teaching tax flow and that tax flow isn't cash flow, meaning there's situations of the cost segregation study. I've seen, I've seen personally, uh, clients recover in tax benefit more than the down payment on the property. So, so you you have you're being paid to acquire this property. And really, I'm sure you see that on a daily basis, all the time. And mm-hmm. you know, one of the biggest, I guess, one of the the biggest emotional benefits of this job is when I do meet people and. You know, I meet people weekly and they're just having that pain. They're getting ready to write that big check every year to the IRS mm-hmm. and to their state government. And and then, you know, we just talk and they tell me that they have some properties and they've done some other things and the lights go off and I share with them the good news. And the good news is tear up that check and don't mail it. And then because you have these investments and properties and other things that you've done, we can utilize those to eliminate the taxes that you owe today, right? Mm -hmm. So, and maybe get some refunds. So it's, uh, you know, it feels like Robin Robin Hood in a bit, right? When you're going across the country and you're meeting people and you're meeting accounting firms and you're helping them go through their clients and find these little opportunities so that they can call their client and say, you know what? You made a lot of money, and I'm also getting you a refund this year because of it, some of the things you did. Yeah, and if you own an accounting firm, first of all, you should not have any trouble getting clients right now. But second of all, it's much easier to educate yourself to build your own board, your own board of directors, be it peers and maybe a practice management coach or specialty tax services. Learn how to go comb through your client list and find those opportunities, and do not feel bad about that. If, if you were, you know, I'm finding eight to 10 X value typically when we find an opportunity for a client, why would I feel bad about that? I feel great about, um, that to be able to find that, that opportunity for a client. And it's, you know, it always depends. It depends on the situation, but if you're adding a lot more value than the cost, you, you've put money in their pocket. Mention, you mentioned a couple. And that's what they're counting on. They're counting Mm -hmm. on you to do that, right? 
Well, and that's the thing is with tax compliance, tax compliance, and I know I just said compliance skills, compliance is also a commodity. Mm-hmm. Tax planning is, it's hard to commoditize tax planning right now because they're like, we've developed this our own proprietary system and I don't, there's not many out there like that. Um, but, but compliance, once we talk about AI and, and that sort of stuff, and I think the theme is really we're focused on tax planning and strategy and how to, I think most accountants want to bring that to their practice, but they just don't know how to right now. And that's, the, and that's a lot of, uh, I mean, shoot, we, we don't, there's about a thousand, seems like a thousand participants at the conference we went to a few weeks ago. Um, and we just, we just ask people one, a couple of things I want to touch on cost seg. One more question about cost seg is, and then I'm going to ask another, something else. Um, but Julio, you brought up a great point and maybe you could touch on this a little bit. There's a lot of times with a cost segregation study, there's a misconception that you can only do a cost segregation study on a property that you placed in the service that tax year, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not true. So let me, so if you're a tax professional and you're looking at a tax credit and you have a client that has a big taxable event, and let's say it's March and this taxable event occurred the year before and they're going to owe a bunch of money, yet they have other rental properties or other properties that are eligible for cost segregation study on their on their ba- on their balance sheet or on their depreciation schedule, yeah. you could actually go back and do a cost segregation study in a, in, a, in a subsequent years. Can you kind of explain the 481A and just kind of how that might work? What what yeah. an accountant should yeah, be looking this for? Is just, this is just what you're saying is more indication that the government wants us to invest in real estate and give mm-hmm. us all these benefits. And one of the benefits you just mentioned is great. I would say 50% of the cost segregation studies we do for accounting firms and their clients are when their clients buy a building, right? So we're going to do the engineering study and we're going to set up the depreciation up front. Um, But the other 50% are clients from the accounting firms that they've owned their buildings for 10 years, five years, and never took advantage of cost segregation studies. And what the government allows us to do, the IRS allows us to do is calculate all that interest or all that depreciation that they took over that five-year, 10-year period and what they could have taken through the cost segregation study. And then that difference, they allow you to adjust the depreciation in the year that you're filing that tax return as a catch-up in depreciation missed. So you don't have to go amend tax returns and you can catch up all that depreciation when you do the study. And the IRS allows all these things automatically. So there's no, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when we did it, we had to go ask for permission from the IRS and get their permission and then do it over a four-year period. But those all things have changed because again, government likes real estate. Exactly. And final cost side question, I thought I already promised that, but I, I love cost, cost segregation. So John laughs up there like, he's learned a lot about cost side studies just by hanging out with me for a, a lot. To me, it's the lowest hanging fruit for someone. I mean, it's the best bang for the dollar. Um, at what point is is it does it make sense? Let's assume it's a long term buy and hold. But at what point, as far as an asset level uh, or an acquisition price, uh, does it make sense to consider a cost segregation study in your problem? Yeah, it's such a good question because ten years ago, you know, our cost segregation studies were you know primarily buildings. Today. The biggest percentage are Airbnbs. People mm-hmm. buying properties for $75,000, $50,000, and we're doing cost segregation so they can get an extra 20000 in depreciation. So, you know, 
the market tells us what we need to work on. You know, fortunately, with cost segregations on these smaller properties, the IRS doesn't uh, request an engineering site visit. So they they understand that, you know, that would kind of, from a fee standpoint, kill the opportunity to do those studies. So on properties like that, a million and under residential homes, they don't require us to even do a site visit. So we can do a lot of that information online. We don't have that site visit fees. And, you know, these things, a lot of the information, you can find it right online and, and do the studies for them. And uh, so it's inexpensive. But like, I think your question is, you know, where does it start? For us, we're doing 30,000 Airbnbs, 40,000 Airbnbs. We're doing a doctor office that did $50,000 in improvements and wants to get those written off. So, you know, yes. but it, it doesn't mean that we don't do stadiums and we don't do high rises and we don't do these big Amazon distribution centers and big shopping malls and things of that nature. But, you know, really the goal for me has always been to make sure this access, these studies are accessible to everyone, right? Because whether you're owning a $30,000 apartment for Airbnb or you're the one, you know, you're a rate with a high rise, everyone should have access to this this tax codes and these tax benefits. And it's our goal to make sure that everyone does. Yeah. Then if you're a practitioner, we talk, you know, you probably heard about the, it's called the short-term rental loophole. Maybe some people want to call it the short-term rental tax strategy if they don't like the loophole term. Uh, But if you have a, a uh, a client that's that's purchased a short-term rental property, especially since September of 2017, which we saw a lot of that during the pandemic. A lot of people started using Airbnb, purchasing. I'm here in uh, based in Tennessee, so the Smoky Mountains exploded. Uh, not literally, gosh forbid, but uh, you know, <laughs> the the market exploded. Um, and, and if they, in general, if they self-manage that property, um, you could. We found yep with clients that have low relatively lower acquisition costs but had make that uh, the short-term rental um loophole because of the short-term rental loophole meaning they're they're managing it themselves in general there's a lot of rules for that but make sense so if you're a tax professional out there listening you have a client that acquired a short-term rental property and if if you're preparing their tax return first of all we hope you did the tax planning but if you're preparing their tax return and you realize, wow, they don't have a property management statement. Oh, they're managing this property on their own. They're going on Airbnb and VRPO. Um, please connect with us uh, because you might be, you might have a client sitting on thousands, maybe tens and thousands of dollars. And for like Julio said, for for Main Street USA taxpayers, a thirty, forty thousand dollar tax benefit moves the needle a ton. Now, obviously, if you're you built SoFi Stadium, you know that's not going to be a big needle mover. But, but again, that's, I kind of share this with Julio. Like, I just love helping people out. I wish I could have a million clients mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and handhold all of them, but we can't. But, but we can teach the accountants how to help a million people. So, yeah, no, that is cool. You mentioned grants um, and, and sanitizing the real estate. I think that as a tax professional, even myself, I'm trying to dive into the grants as well. And I know ETS does a lot with that. Um, when we think about grants, our, our mind typically goes to nonprofits and you tell us some of the most common things we need to be looking for as a CPA, as a tax professional for our clients. When we hear that trigger word, or we find something out about them that we might say, man, they might be eligible for a grant. Let me, let me look into that for them. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people do think of it as nonprofits, but let's talk about who are the biggest grant recipients in our country, right? Number one would be Tesla, right? So they took a massive amount of grants from the state of California and from the federal government because both collectively felt that we wanted that kind of business in our country and we're willing to give them grants to save it because you know without those grants, Tesla doesn't make it and they don't survive. They were barely uh, making it out of California. California decided to give them some grants to keep it going, live another day. Federal government stepped in and then did some credits, right? So people would go out and buy their cars. And because of all that work, now we have that company and that employment here in the United States, but it doesn't survive without that. Um, but who, so Microsoft, right? Facebook, all these companies, these are the people that have taken the biggest grants in our country. But those grants are accessible to everyone. Every small business owner should look at grants, right? The biggest grants that we see today for small business owners are in real estate, they're in tech, right? And medical uh, development, drugs, you know, medical devices, and all kinds of different technologies, wow. manufacturing, right? So, and all kinds of different real estate, especially affordable real estate, where we need to have grants to have these subsidized housing communities throughout the country. So the grants are three buckets in my mind, right? But okay. accounting firms may have all these clients, right? Nonprofits, no brainer, right? If you have a nonprofit as a client, you're a CPA firm, you got to look at grants. I, I guarantee you most accounting firms don't even look at that path. And this is free equity. They don't have to give back, right? This is free equity. So the small business clients, they got to examine what their small business clients are doing. And if they're doing anything in tech, manufacturing, real estate, we've got to look immediately at what grants are available for them at the federal and state level. And then third, if you have clients that are municipalities, the cities are the ones that get the biggest grants in our country, right? From the federal government and from the state government. Like here in West Palm Beach, Florida, right? They needed grants for the fire department. They need to make a bigger fire department. They need a bigger police department, a bigger police station. We need infrastructure for the bridges that are failing, for our railroads, and we need housing right here. And so, mm -hmm. and the cities, like most companies, don't have the capacity, the staff to write these grants or have the relationships up in DC with the different departments and getting those grants. But these are easy things to get. And it's so funny that, you know, again, these are things that can separate accounting firms from all their competition to say that, hey, I'm gonna help you with grants. We're gonna also look at your tax return and see if you have any credits available, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Do you have any real estate? Did we do any depreciation studies? Did we get the energy tax credits? All these things are separators and grants low-hanging fruit. Well, great segue because I, in our private CPA practice, I have, as we know, we're niche in real estate, but I had a client that uh, built a new building um, that was that, that he bought and held, and it was leased to a arts college here in Nashville. And we looked at this, looked at this building. I talked to the ETS team and it was determined that he was eligible for the 45L deduction. So, which changed dramatically with the inflation reduction there. Um, so 
can you just touch 30,000 foot view? I know I keep saying 30. The plane has to move out levels at some point. John's probably like, oh gosh, everything's yeah, 30,000 foot. But the 45 out, because I think a lot of tax professionals, you know, when, when a client comes in and, and um, the cool thing is we did a cost, you could do, you could pair cost segregation and a, and a extra deduction uh, on a lot of these things. But yeah, um, we had a client successfully pick up 45 L um, as a, as a um, 31 15 deduction. And then on, a, on the next year's return as well. But um, can you tell us a little bit about the 45 L deduction? Yeah. So the 45 L is a credit. And like you said, in the, or credit, sorry. Yeah, and yeah, my bad. I was thinking of the 179D. Sorry about that. Yeah, okay. let's talk 45 L first. <laughs> so, in the Inflation Reduction Act, they increase the benefit, so it can be up to five thousand dollars a unit as a credit. So this is dollar for dollar benefit. And what is it for? It's for rewarding, you know, property investors, developers that make their buildings energy efficient. And this is, of course, 45 L. What's the difference between this and 179D? They're both tax benefits for energy efficient buildings. 45L is for multifamily, basically. 179D is for anything that's not multifamily. Mm -hmm. And again, it's rewarding people for building properties energy efficiently so that they're taking, you know, they're basically helping the cities not have to continue to put a lot of, you know, um, issues and stress on the energy. Uh, of their communities. And so really it's rewarding good energy efficient building or renovations to a building. Yeah. So that was my fault. Yeah. The four, I got my 179D and 45L. My notes are right next to each other here. So the 45L is a credit, which is, as we know, as tax professionals, much better than a deduction. Um, and that's for multifamily buildings that are energy efficient. The beautiful thing as a tax professional is you don't have to figure out if they meet the requirements, just bring in a specialty tax firm to help you out. They will you you can help out a little on the discovery sesh, uh, section of of that. And and if they qualify, amazing. If they don't qualify, okay, you learned something. Um, but you're not you're not the bad guy. So now you mentioned well, the one seventy nine on that point, and this is a really good point. Listen, we have all these great tax benefits for real estate. We talked about cost segregation, forty five L one seventy nine D. 179D and 45L, you have to be a licensed engineer to certify in these calculations. So what we're saying, and when you do cost segregation, you have to be an engineer that's determining what parts of a building are tangible and non-structural versus structural. And I think what the IRS is saying with all these things is that, yes, we want to give you all these tax benefits. We're not going to make it easy, right? We just don't want to, we, we still want more money to come to the government right? We still want to collect more at the IRS. So yeah, we have all these tax benefits, but we're not going to make it easy. And we're not going to make it easy because 99% of the accounting firms are not going to have an engineering department that can do energy calculations and engineering reports on buildings, right? So, you know, it sounds great. Um, and again, for the accounting firms, it's like, yeah, I've heard about this, but I don't, I don't have an engineering department, but this is the thing. Our code is complex for a reason. We want to say that we're doing all these great things as a government, but we want to make it very difficult, right? We want to make sure that most people don't have access to it so that, you know, we can say we did our part, we passed the codes, but at the end of the day, we still want more money to come into the IRS, right? So it's one of those mixed bags. And so for the accounting firms, having that resource, that engineering department, because what accounting firm 
can put engineers on staff that can do energy calculations and determine structure on a building. There's no possible way because they're not going to have enough clients. And like you said, we're paid on success, right? So the clients are paying us because they know they're getting a tremendous benefit. And we share that revenue with the CPA firm. We all win. It takes a community to kind of rise us all up. And uh, that's kind of our part with the accounting firms. And they, and Julio, it's one thing too. So you had mentioned, um, I mean, kind of going back a little bit, even to this point, right? So we talked about cost segs. We've talked about grants. Um, before we jump into to some two different, you know, you really, you really got across the point of that. There is, for the most part, these opportunities are very accessible to people. It's just the fact of having all your ducks in a row and really being a little bit more laser focused and approaching them. So some of these, like we were just talking about the the other opportunities here, those not so much. It's a little bit more in the weeds, a little bit more detailed, but overall things are are pretty accessible. Would that be a, a pretty good assumption to make or a, a good little nugget there? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, they're accessible, they're available. You know, there's more information about it more than ever, but you don't want to be the accountant that has real estate clients and doesn't know about 179D, 45L, cost segregation. You got to know these things and you can't know everything, right? And you can't have an engineering department, but you know, there's firms like us all throughout the country. And certainly you got to be sure that you're having these kind of partnerships, creating your board, right? Like you said, of these people to help your clients. Absolutely. Yes. So talking about that, and, and that's why, um, you know, moving on to a different type of tax credits, another tax credit that I found, I love the tax credits that you're, you're just intentionally, you're, you're getting on money that you already spent, you spent. Um, obviously, once you start learning about these credits, you can do better planning to make sure that the activities and what you're doing is legal, ethically eligible for the credit. But I've had clients eligible for the R&D research and development tax credit every year. And these are clients that you wouldn't even think about research and development. Um, that, that some of them, because they're not necessarily making a product, let's say they're improving a process or they're creating a some type of software. Um, can you touch uh, another, I think another opportunity for tax professionals to add value to their client? Once you start talking to them and, and getting, getting to know their operations, um, can you talk to about Talk to us a little bit about R&D credits and- Yeah. In, yeah, of course. The, so R&D stands for research and development tax credits. And basically it's a refund of labor for a company. And basically that can be on the federal and state side. So you can have R&D at the federal and state level. And this is a refund for labor that any small business has where that labor is paid for innovation and research and development and making their products better or their processes better. And so I think you said it just right. And again, we're the independent engineers, scientists that come in and verify the labor that was spent, labor and supplies spent by a company to create innovation within their company. And the reason we have R&D, like the reasons we have cost segregation and 179D and 45L is because we don't wanna lose that innovation outside of our country. Right, because if a company says, well, we can do these innovations, but it's gonna be cheaper for us to outsource to China or India, then that's what they do, right? Because it's gonna be lower cost and we lose those jobs. So the R&D tax credit recognizes that these companies have an, a choice. 
And that choice is, do I do this labor outside the country and use them for the innovation, which is much cheaper, or do I do it here in the country and take advantage of the research and development tax credits and get a refund on my labor and keep those jobs here in the country? So, you know, that's why we do that here. We understand that labor, you know, across the globe is going to be much less in other countries, especially if they don't have all these, you know, regulations and standards. And so this R&D credit is to kind of help, you know, create an equitable table for the small business owners here. And what are the things to consider when you're, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're thinking about this credit for your clients is that, is where's that labor sourced, right? Because it needs to be US-based labor uh, to be eligible for the credit. I know there's a we won't get too technical. We might, we might have someone else back on in the future. We could do a whole episode on the four-part test for R&D credits and that sort of stuff. But um, but the the labor has to be U.S.-based. Is that is that correct? Yeah, U.S.-based labor, right? So we want to make sure we're keeping jobs here in the United States. So if you have labor... And listen, I run into a lot of clients that outsource their labor across different countries. You know, they don't get that tax benefit. But again... They probably didn't know either. So when they find out that, A, either they have labor that qualifies, that's a reward, right? Because now with our R&D, not like Costa, where we can go back 10 years, but R&D, we're able to go back four years and mm-hmm. get refunds for previous years and then go to make sure you take advantage of it going forward. So still some good news. If you didn't take advantage of the R&D tax credit, you know, at least the IRS says that we can go back three and four years and fix that, amend those tax returns. Those, those you do have to go amend and get your mm-hmm. and then keep it going forward. But we've amended successfully. I'm telling you, if you're as a tax pro, you, you will be a rock star to your client if you find an opportunity for them. And then the, the first thing they're going to do, they, let's say you start working with them from the 2013 year, you're in DC, I think you're eligible for this credit, and you bring in a specialty tax firm and they get it. That for next question, the next thing they're going to say is, man, I wish I knew that four years ago or three years ago. You say, guess what? The IRS gives you a few get out of jail free cards and that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's been amazing for our clients to obtain that credit, but also it's been a good revenue source for for our firm uh, as well, just as uh, working with um, ETS. So then it's been mutually beneficial. And um, again, you're the boots on the ground and the accountants out there working with clients on tax tax trends on a daily basis, really look at that. And, and that's a credit that could either be, um, it could be on a corporate return, it could be on a S-corp partnership return, which passes through your K-1, or it could be on your purse, a 1040. So yeah. Um, another credit, so this, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Julio. No, I was just going to say, when I talk to small business owners, I tell them that you're, you can treat your accountant as an expense and you're going to get compliance and you're going to get basically someone that's going to take your information and create a tax return. Or you can think of your account as an investment and get an account that's going to know your industry, know the tax credits, know the tax um, deductions associated with your industry, know the grants associated with it. And you're not, you know, you could pay this and then reduce your taxes this much. Or you can invest in an accounting firm that knows all these opportunities and pay, you know, this much, right? A much smaller amount, right? And now it's a better return on investment. Absolutely. 
The um, the next one I get a little fired up about because we did talk about this on a teaching tax flow podcast. The reason I get fired up is that there's a lot of bad actors out there when it comes to the ERTC. And um, speaking of, you know, we these credits should be somewhat difficult to get because we they should be awarded to the companies, the entrepreneurs, the business owners that deserve the credits. And unfortunately, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad actors out there that that advertise and, and, and you know may potentially filed ERTC claims for people that shouldn't have gotten them. That's exactly why you know I'm as a tax pro. You should we our private practice we did not touch an ERTC claim. We worked with a specialty tax firm on all of them, um, just because there's so much knowledge that you need to have. But I also think this is one that was a little easier to get uh, the RTC credit, but really, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's you're, there's some eligibility left for this. Yeah, so the eligibility for the employment retention tax credits is through 2025. So again, still some great opportunity to take advantage of those tax benefits. And you're right, there's always going to be bad actors and bad actors happen because the accounting firms don't know necessarily are not caught up with these different tax credits. So you see a lot of people jump in, go after small businesses, and you know all these pop-up employment retention tax firms were you know success-based, right? So they're going to go find you the biggest returns, right? And they're going to get their fee. And ultimately, what we're seeing with Department of Justice is that they're busy like they were with the PPP, right? going after the bad actors, finding the bad actors. And unfortunately, the small business owners, they didn't know, right? They just trusted the guy that sent the email or sent them the text or mm-hmm. gave them a call, right? So you're right. I mean, lesson learned here. Make sure that even with these things, that you're working through your accountant and that your accountant approves the the specialty tax service that they're using because they're just as eligible because they signed those tax returns. And uh, you're always going to have those bad actors on these things. Um, we see it all the time. So just make sure you have a good account that's doing their research and making sure they're not putting you at risk. And what the themes we've talked about is that, is, uh, you know, real estate's a very tax-favored industry. It's also uh, advantageous to, to deploy your resources into U.S.-based labor. Um, yeah. So the last credit I want to touch on in the, in, and then is specifically is the work opportunity tax credit or WOTC. In our private practice, we don't have tons of heavy labor clients because most of them are in the real estate. Um, but can you talk to us about the WOTC a little bit? And is it a tax professional is listening to the, if you're not a tax professional listening to this, yeah, please don't join us because you should, be, if you, if you enjoy this, you should be a tax professional. But if you're a tax professional, Let's see to this. Yeah, where, where should we, where could they look to see if their clients are eligible for this? Yeah, and the work opportunity tax credits are great. Again, it's a refund of labor and that is associated with hiring people that are disadvantaged. That is the strict definition of work opportunity tax credit. And so that's hiring veterans, right? That's hiring people that have come out of prison or people that have uh, disabilities or low income. And basically, it's to encourage these firms to hire these disadvantaged 
people in our society and then get a tax credit for doing that. And I can tell you that a lot of firms employ these people all throughout the country. You see it, especially like in you know restaurants or small businesses across the country, hotels, things of that nature, where they have a lot of people mm-hmm. working that are, have these disabilities or disadvantages or become eligible because they were veterans and served our country. And ultimately, you know, the small businesses just don't know. And, uh, and also, you know, the, the, the accountant should be telling their small business owner, not only about the employees they do have, but maybe when you're hiring, maybe you want to consider hiring a veteran for that job mm-hmm. because of the tax benefits you're going to get for doing so. Mm-hmm. And who, Absolutely. you know, I know we, I know we touched on so much stuff here and I know we're, we're kind of wrapping up a little bit on time. Um, I don't know, Chris, if you had any, any other questions or any other items we'd want to drop on the table? No, I, I know WOTC. I think that that's, yeah, yeah. That's something that, that, uh, is lower hanging fruit. And that could, it's, is that something someone can amend a return for, or do you have to claim that credit as you go? And then I'll, no, you can definitely amend and fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, again, take a look at your clients, take a look at the, you know, their tax returns and see if there's some eligibility just on these low hanging fruit things that we discussed today, right? There's obviously 50 to hundred more tax incentives we didn't talk about. And maybe that's for another time, but certainly these are low hanging fruit that they should go find right away as we're doing tax planning in, in August for the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And going from Chris, I'll, Chris, I'll poke fun at you for a minute. You know, knowing you for 20 years, I could do that. So now we'll go from the 30,000 foot view. We're going to put down the landing gear a little bit and we're going to mm-hmm. go towards the, go towards the strip. You know, I love you, so I could poke fun at you. Um, so, Julio, really, my my final question for you is: I know we touched on some of these some of these opportunities. Like, where where in your mind do you see things in the semi near future? Do, I mean, obviously, some of these opportunities they have quote unquote expiration dates on them. Um, obviously, there's new stuff that's always rolling out. There's changes in the industry, changing you know changes coming down from the IRS. I mean, do you see our country going in a direction that is maybe Obviously, real estate will will always be a, a focus, most likely. Um, obviously, tech has has taken a lot of that um, interest, we should say, in the past. Um, where do you see things going in, in the future? I mean, what types of clients might some of our our listeners maybe be on the lookout, or maybe they start to approach them, and and maybe we start to to perk their ears a little bit as, oh wow, you know, this might be an opportunity for me as a tax pro to maybe target these types of clients because there's future opportunities in the pipeline or, or from your point of view, where do you see it? Yeah. I think that, you know, obviously with the last two changes, significant tax code changes in the last year, it's all right now with the government under green energy. So if you have clients that are in the green energy, clean energy space, you got to identify them or maybe you have prospects in your community because those tax credits are massive. They're growing and they're not going away, right? And I can tell you that we've, uh, in fact, we just saw a big tax credit for people that make electrical boats. And the accounting firm called us and said, you know, I have a client that does about a billion dollars in making electrical boats. Wow. Grants are the credits. You bet, because we want those kind of jobs. We want that kind of activity in our country. And so that's the one I would focus on as an accounting firm. Maybe you have a niche, maybe you have clients in your community, maybe they're prospects, but certainly that's the biggest one we're saying. And that's not to say that, you know, real estate's not always going to be big, 
it's going to be big. But if we're talking about new, it's definitely clean and green energy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, well, as we wrap up here, we we obviously appreciate your time and your insight. I mean, it's it's always you know you try to be the dumbest guy in the room. I I successfully think I've accomplished that today. Like this is this is great. <laughs> I I I enjoyed it as always. Um, and if anybody has any questions for Julio, um, I mean, please feel free to reach out to him. We'll drop a couple of links in the show notes for this one as well. Or you know, obviously, always feel free to reach out to our team here at the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. Um, but also check out Teaching Tax Flow too. I think it's you know there's a, there's a lot of overlap in these that as far as for tax pros go, um, there's there's a lot of content on the Teaching Tax Flow side that's more of an on demand. The questions that your clientele is probably asking, and like we had talked about multiple times in this show, Julio, I think you, you agree with that as well. Is really just empowering yourselves with that knowledge that you can bring to your clients. But really, at the at the end game, you're you're empowering yourself to empower your clients, and you're just making it a, a, a better situation for everybody. And your your practice is growing. So, Julio, we we greatly appreciate your time. We look forward to working with you again. Um, I know we had a, had a couple of things in the hopper that we were chatting about. Um, some content stuff. So I look forward to that. And yeah, we'll have to have you back on the show. We really appreciate wow. it. Listen, I'm I'm grateful for today. I'm grateful for what you all do for the community and what you do for the community and also for ultimately all the individuals and small business owners where they're, you know, retaining cash and paying less taxes. You know, those are things that I think we can all be proud of. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. And and until next time, we will see everybody very soon here on the Mr. R Show. Hey, everybody. Thank you for hanging in on this episode with us once again. I know your notebook is full of those notes. I know you're pushing that pause button, going back and listening to some of the stuff that we covered. Undoubtedly, we will absolutely be working with Julio some more on getting some content together for MRRI, getting that out to you as well. They are a fantastic organization that's been built over many years, building out a fantastic team, serving so many clients with so many services. It is absolutely incredible. Um, personally, in, in my world, not being in the tax space as much as these gentlemen by a long shot, I'm absolutely blown away on what they can offer, how they do it, and the benefits that really, really results in some very, very happy clients and some very challenging situations, which they make easy. So thank you so much, Julio, for taking the time to join us on the show. Chris, as always, thank you for co-hosting with me on here. Any of those questions, we will drop some of the contacts in the show notes where you can reach out to us. You can reach out to the ETS team and Julio with any of those. But as always, do not hesitate to ask those questions. That's the main purpose behind this show is really just providing the information and the resources so you can grow your practice and elevating it to an entirely new level. So partnering with companies like ETS and really just knowing somebody like Julio is almost a shoe in for being able to do that with your practice or in your practice, I should say. So again, thank you, Julio. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on the Mr. R Show. And as always, we will see you very soon. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. 
Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.